You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Today we're going to be talking about being active in love. I was thinking this week about action and inactivity because for the fourth week I've been on about as less or least active as I have been in my adult life trying to recover from this thing and the fatigue that just keeps going. And I thought about uh, uh, another brother who's uh, been suffering from this uh, pretty poorly. Uh, He has been active more so than I could have imagined in his teaching. But, and I see it online, and every time I see him, though, he's sitting down. He's unable to stand, but he's still doing his best to teach. And there's an old, old story, and it's really old. It's about John, the apostle. It's not a story that's in the Bible, but it's a story recorded by a man named Jerome. You might know Jerome by the name St. Jerome. Now, he lived in the 300s, wrote a number of Bible commentaries, a number of... Uh, of, uh, of things of, of lasting importance, primarily, I guess, uh, the uh, Septuagint version, or excuse me, not uh, Vulgate version. He translated uh, the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into Latin uh, for uh, easier access for the Romans. In any case, Jerome, in his commentary on Galatians 6.10, which is, let us do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith, in his commentary on Galatians 6, Uh, Jerome mentions a story about John the Apostle, uh, one that was passed down to him, we think maybe through Clement of Alexandria, but he's about 150 years after the people who would have known this. So there's a gap. uh, uh, So we don't exactly know uh, the exact provenance of this story, uh, but we have this story from Jerome about John. He said, the blessed John the Evangelist lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. Often thought he may have lived to 105 or so, which in the Roman times would have been truly an extreme old age. Even now, it's pretty impressive. His disciples could barely carry him to church, and he could not muster the voice to speak many words. During many gatherings, he usually said nothing but, Little children love one another. The disciples and brothers in attendance became annoyed because they always heard the same words. So finally they said, Teacher, why is it that you always say this? He replied with a line worthy of John, Because it is the Lord's commandment, and it, if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. Well, there's some lovely little details in that story about the aged apostle. We're not sure if that's exactly true or not. Now those words, little children love one another, that directly echoes the Gospel of John, uh, where uh, Jesus and uh, four or five times in the Last Supper would tell us to love one another. It echoes John's other writings, uh, where five or six times in his epistles, the first and second John, uh, he would address his audience as little children. And so those words ring very true even if we don't have exactly confirmation of the story. The other part, because it is the Lord's command, 
and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. I think within the proper context, I think that's a pretty good statement too. He's talking about the context of believers. He's not talking about, you know, unbelievers. Hey, if you love one another, you're good. He's not talking about things outside of Christ. But he's talking about conduct uh, of brethren and with brethren. Again, as I say, we don't know exactly if this story is true or not. We think about 150 years ago from our time, would have been the time of the Civil War. There are a number of places in this country where family stories or local stories about things of the Civil War are passed down. And many of those things have the ring of truth, and sometimes when investigated, those things are true. It's also true that a number of stories, 150 years on after the war, uh, that, that just wasn't quite so, even if the folks there like to remember it that way. So we're not sure exactly if this story is right or not, but uh, to me it does, have, it does have the ring of truth. But I was thinking about that because it is this famous story of the old preacher who can barely do anything, be, just be carried to church and say ten words. If in your old age they carried you to church and you're able to say ten words, what might those ten words be from you? Well, it's reported that John's was, and not ten words, but five, little children love one another. This really is something that we are to do. Uh, being active in love, I don't know if it's entirely sufficient as the story reports it, but I know it's of grave and, 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 and of uh, great importance. Uh, we think about uh, the instruction uh, from Jesus. Uh, here we are in Mark 12. There's other places we could read this. What we know is the uh, first and, and second commandments. One of the scribes in Mark 12 asked him this, what commandment is foremost of all? And he quotes the Shema of Deuteronomy 6. Jesus answered, foremost is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And another place it would say about these this set of commandments, on this hangs the whole law and the prophets. So I guess that is pretty close to the uh, purported words of John, that if you keep this as the Lord commanded, is uh, sufficient. And so this is what we need to do. We need to love God truly, fully, and deeply, and we need to love one another as our own selves. We're going to concentrate on that second one this morning, loving one another. And it's not good enough to be like that guy who boasts. He says, I'm a great humanitarian. I, I love humanity. I do great good for humanity. And sometimes these humanitarians, they'll give out millions or billions of dollars to help the cause of people. But, you know, it's just, they, they love humanity. It's just people they don't like, right? There's all these people they don't like. Oh, humanity they love. But the people, not so much. Or, or the same guy in the church. Man, he loves the church, the bride of Christ. He just doesn't like a lot of the brethren. Hold on. Uh, how, is that, how is that going to work? We need to love, as it says, we need to love as they are ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. In this regard, there are two different words that come up in the discussion about love. We'll just mention them briefly, but we won't camp on them very long. 
There's the phileo love, the affection, the warm and tender feeling for. And there's the agape love, which is generally defined as doing the best for. Now, in some places, those words are used almost interchangeable to that, where agape means a warm feeling and affection. And phileo can be used of more than just that, but seeking the best for someone. But generally, that's how we break it down. And there's also some other loves of the Greek language, but they don't play into this. And so we're not going to mention those anymore in that regard, except to use for our definition of loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, most of the time we pretty much like ourselves. I know there's time we're self-loathing when sin has convicted us. But most of the time we pretty well like ourselves. And most of the time it's not hard to figure out what we like it's good for us. I know on occasion we get that wrong. The doctor says we should diet and we say, oh yeah, that would be best for us, but we don't. Or some other regimen of of, of that type where there's a a discipline that is helpful, but we just don't seem to have the willpower to carry it through. But we still recognize what would be the good. And so we know pretty instinctually, and most of the time we follow pretty instinctually, what fits for us, what it is that we have an affection toward, and what advances ourselves. We're pretty good at this self-interest business, aren't we? Aren't most of us pretty good at self-interest? Well, let's make neighbor's interest. And let's think then, how is it that we can practically do this? How can we specifically do this? How can I specifically uh, do something that is good for my neighbor? And it's not just neighbors. There's other relationships in which this kind of instruction is given. We might start at home. Colossians 3.19, husbands love your wives. Then it says don't be embittered against them. Well, there's one thing. Don't be embittered. Uh, Don't think, well, i got to do all this for her all the time. Come on now. Well, yeah, you do. Uh, That's sort of the the one flesh uh, thing. Uh, Titus 2, the other side there uh, of the gender divide in marriage. And yes, there should be a divided gender in marriage, right? We're, We're still clear on that even if the world has forgotten. But it talks about the older women are to encourage the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. So we would think and hope that in a good marriage, uh, in a good family, uh, that we wouldn't have to tell the husband to love the wife and not be bitter. We think we wouldn't need to tell the wife to love the husband, uh, her husband, and to love her kids. But the fact that these are New Testament instructions which Paul gives to the church or Paul gives to the evangelist to tell the members of the church, it tells us that even in this most basic thing, we could sometimes do with a reminder that these are not quite so natural and in quite so matter of course as we might like to think. And really, they never have been. Sometimes we like to think of these uh, glory days of grandma and grandpa, or great-grandma and great-grandpa, when things were simple and all the husbands loved their wives and there wasn't any divorce. Of course, back then it was illegal anyway. But uh, no, it wasn't any better, or I think, or in some ways any worse than now. It's, it's humans uh, being selfish. Uh, and so uh, read about uh, the miseries uh, of faithful wives uh, who had uh, loutish, drunken, or unfaithful uh, husbands back in those wonderful days, uh, back when, uh, you know, it, was all, it all seemed so romantic uh, back then when, uh, you know, everything was 
got done by candles and, and everything was a slower pace and uh, there, there was all these horses and buggies instead of, you know, uh, cars and the like. Re- read about uh, when things went wrong there and boy, it was bad. Well, today it's bad in many places and in many homes. So what can the husband do? What can the wife do? Uh, what can the parents do and what can the children do to show the love and affection that they ought? If you're in any of these relationships, which I think by the time we get to parents and child, you're probably everybody in here. If your parents are still living, you're certainly, uh, you have been, uh, and you most likely are. In these relationships, as either a, a parent or a child, as a husband or a wife, what practical things can you do in which love would continue? In which love, uh, affection, and seeking the best for these folks how would that be shown? What could you do today to make that better than yesterday in its appearance and its evidence and the fruit of it in your life? What could you do? I won't presume to speak for you, although anybody who knows anybody might have some things, and I hope you won't presume to speak for me, but you might go, you know, Jay, you really ought to. And maybe if you think I'm really missing one, maybe you should tell me that, but I'll, uh, I won't tell you this in the sermon time, and you don't tell me in the sermon time, but if you really know one where I'm overlooking it or messing it up, tell me. Tell me. Uh, but there's other relationships as well in which we have this love one another uh, requirement in which we should have this affection and best seeking for. So Hebrews 13.1, let the love of brethren continue, or as some of the better Translations on that verse will say, let brotherly love continue, much more poetically and, and, and flowing. Uh, but let brotherly love continue in that relationship. So in the relationship at home and in the relationship at church. Let love flow. Let love continue. Affection and seeking the best for. And so hopefully among the brethren, uh, you'll have some friends, but we also I think all of us have friends outside the brotherhood. And so we have things like this as well, other relationships. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all time, and a brother is born for adversity. And so we have friends and brothers there. Friends and brothers. And so you might have friends that are better to you than your brothers and your sisters. If a bad day comes, it's those friends, even more than your kin, that will be there. For, for some of us, uh, that, that friendship is within kinship. It is within the family uh, that we find these uh, deepest of friendships and, and deepest of love shown. And so that's, you know, I said practical. Well, among brethren and among friends, what's a practical thing to do? Be there in the day of adversity. And be like Job's friends. I mean the first week, not the second. The first week where they showed up and sat and didn't say a word. Be Job's friends that first week. Don't be Job's friends the second week where you try to explain all the things of God and get it wrong and have to repent and have to go and say, Job, I'm sorry about that. I I discouraged you. You had it bad enough and I I had to do your woes. Don't be like that. Uh, But be there. We do commend them for being there with Job in his adversity. It seemed like in that adversity, his wife had tried to make herself somewhat scarce, right? And so you're never sure until the adversity comes who's going to be scarce and who's going to be close. But try to be the close ones to somebody 
in a helpful, practical way when they have come to adversity. And so we think about this again, that there is no greater love than loving your neighbor as yourself. And uh, there's other relationships to which we can speak about this. Uh, The relationships that come at work, those that you work with, those that you work for, those who work for you. And somebody says, well, I don't have any employees. That doesn't apply to me. Well, if you ever go to a place where there's a waiter or a waitress, you got somebody working for you for a couple hours, we'll think about that. But, but in these relationships, that might be at work. Or if we're younger, uh, the, the relationships that we have at school, uh, the, the, these different kind of neighbors, our work neighbors, our, our school neighbors, obviously, of course, literally the neighbors, the, the people who live next door and the door beyond that, those folks across the street. And, you know, we think about the tragedy of isolation these days. There's so many folks, they don't know the people across the street. They don't know the names of the people who live beside them. I, I, I do now finally know all the names of all my neighbors, but, you know, it took an embarrassingly long time uh, to find that out. And there's really, there's, you know, there's only five or six houses I'd need to concern myself with that directly in that regard. But, uh, uh, you know, people never go outside. And we never go outside, it seems, because, oh, there's no air conditioning out there. But unless we see them in the yard or uh, unless we uh, see them at some other time like that, we might not even know who our neighbors are. And many live, many live in that state. And so there's these relationships of neighborliness where we have this. So whatever organizations we are in, how do we share with others in that regard? Do we give others regard in that? Or even those with whom we have the shortest of relationships. We shared a four-way stop sign with them for about 30 seconds. But how many people can mess that up so that sin becomes involved? Anger and temper and, 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 and the harshest of words. And if they can't hear us, we'll hand signal them. But we'll use our uh, you know, American street sign language. And we'll, we'll communicate something to them that way. Uh, what a shame. Uh, but uh, that's, that, that, that is your neighbor, if even only for a few moments. And so we find that we have these, these things in which uh, we ought to do, but so often we don't. In Luke 6, it says this, love your enemies even. So maybe that'll cover the guy who cut you off in traffic. Uh, maybe that'll co- cover the guy who took, you know, 17 items into the 10-item uh, or less lane. Uh, that'll cover the lady in front of you at the bank who needs to get a certain amount of change in the right denominations of coins for all of her 14 grandchildren uh, when you have a place to go. Uh, these things that uh, others irritate us about. Uh, you know, it's perfectly fine if I need to go to whatever place uh, of commerce or whatever place of service, and I need to have my order exactly right in exacting detail, and they're going to remake the one or redo the thing if it's not quite right, But if that other guy in front of me takes any longer than the microwave, we've got problems. This is not loving your neighbor. This is not following in these relationships in any way that would be approved of of Christ. The Apostle Paul gives us this as a definition, as a practical part of this kind of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. We're in 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 4, love is not jealous, love does not brag, 
and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so here is the fullness of love. Here is love as set forth in its ideal form by the apostle. I recently saw, and maybe some people have known this for a long time and and seen this technique done and taught, but to me it's only uh, in, in the somewhat recent years that I've seen it, where they will suggest to a person who is soon to be wed, or thinking about uh, maybe be beginning a more serious part of a relationship that would lead to marriage with, with someone, and say, just look at this list, and then put the, the name of your spouse or potential spouse there, and read it that way, and see how true it reads. And so, uh, if we we're going to do this with me, J is patient. J is kind. J is not jealous. J does not, I can't even read that next part with a straight face. Um, let me get one down to one I can. <laughs> Verse 6, uh, J does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And, and I have to say, uh, if Becky had done that and taken that test uh, very seriously, because uh, you, you guys, you've, you've seen, uh, and, you, and you get to see, uh, you know, uh, uh, J uh, 35 years on into the gospel. What do you think Jung Jay was like before that? So if she would have taken that test seriously, I, I don't know that uh, I, I don't know that ever would have had any kids uh, or anything else in that regard. Uh, but if we try to read that about ourselves, and if you can't see the person you're with, and maybe they again know probably very few people in in, in youth, the flower of youth, and, uh, contemplating matrimony, very few of them would would approach these things. Because this is ideal, and this is grown toward. Although I think we could probably find some a few folks who say, yeah, you know, that person's been that way a long time. But most of us have to grow to this. But if we tried to do this exercise with that, and we put ourselves... Now, if you're already married, don't, don't do this so that you can find 19 faults with your spouse. Because uh, if you play the game of find 19 faults with your spouse, what, what game is your, your spouse going to play? 25 faults with you. And how, how do you top that? Well, 40 faults with them. You just, but, but look at yourself and put yourself in here. And if you put yourself in here, is this something that actually reflects a reality? In some ways, maybe it will, and in some probably it won't. Is this a thing that's achievable, though? Uh, you're on a path to achieving it with, with, with continued growth and some correction. Is that possible? Or if, if, if you read yourself into this passage, would it just be inaccurate? Or worse yet, would it be a parody or even a sick joke to try and put yourself in here? Um, and why would that be? And if that is so, so that you could continue on in love, what would you need to change? This is an exercise I think we can all find much to do. Uh, what does the hymn say? There's much to do. There's work on every hand. So there's much to do. Uh, what did John say? First John three eighteen. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, 
but indeed and true. Now, what we find is we are trying to grow in love and show this love better. There are things that we both need to give and to get from love. That this becomes a reciprocal thing. And the, all, every relationship we've talked about, and you know, what is life without relationships? Uh, you know, we can't even define ourselves in the family except in a relationship way. At my house, I'm the husband. and I'm, I'm the dad. Uh, those are relationship things. Other occupants of the house are the children. Uh, they are brothers uh, to one another. Uh, in our work, we are co-workers, or we are bosses, or we are employees, or in the church, we are brethren. There isn't any of these things that are important in life that isn't defined in a way of relationship. And so these work best when they are reciprocal, when we are acting as if we're on the same team, when we all recognize the same duties. And it's a sore temptation to not meet our obligation when the other person doesn't meet theirs. And even worse, not that they just don't meet theirs because they've fallen short, because they don't even seem to recognize it is an obligation for them. It's like, are these people playing by different rules? Why should I play by these rules if they're going to play by those? Uh, many years ago, and this just shows you, this, this happens to me. It's a little early in the year, but this always happens to me when it's 110 days or so until kickoff of fall football. I, I, in, in August, I, I will start watching Australian rules football. I really will. And this last week, I found on one of the streaming services that the family subscribes to, they have some first-class European rugby. You laugh. Guess, guess what I've watched most of any television since I found that out? It ain't football, but it's close enough. But you, you, you know how rugby started? And then from it, football, and from it, we're talking about 150 years ago, that's about how long we started playing football. And, and Australian rules football, rugby started because another college kept beating rug, the, the college of rugby. Rugby is a college in England. They kept beating them at soccer. They kept beating them soundly at soccer. And so the guys at rugby just started picking the ball up. And they started running the ball to the goal. And that is really how rugby got started. Now, I'd rather watch that than football. Use your hands. God gave you hands. Use your hands. But you know what? If there's no rugby, if there's no Australian rules football, if there's no real football, do you know what I'll watch in the summertime? I will watch soccer. That's how bad it gets. That's how bad it gets. But you have to understand in all these games, there's different sets of rules. And as it turns out, as Americans, as great as we are at American rules football, and whenever we have we do have international tournaments, you ought to see you ought to see some of our Division three football players whoop up on the Swiss. It is fine July viewing because it's football. But you know, America doesn't do good at soccer. We don't do very good at rugby either, man. There, there's a there's a major league rugby uh, uh, set down in America. You can watch that online, uh, and I have. Sad to say, we're terrible at rugby because we play a different game. And when it comes to love, and when it comes to Christian duty in love, if we think the other guys are playing rugby when we're playing soccer, we're going to get fed up with the game. If, if we're playing American rules football and they're playing rugby, we can't, we can't play on the same field. 
And it's very seldom you find a player, even as similar as those games are, you very seldom find a player that can jump from one game to the other. Because you'd think, man, if we had these American football athletes, if we taught them how to play rugby, we'd kill the world. We probably wouldn't, but we like to think that. But as it is, we can't even play with them because they're so much better at that set of rules. So we need, when it comes to Christian love and love in our relationships, we need to make sure we're all playing by the same rules. Just because we're losing so bad at soccer doesn't mean we can pick the ball up. You get a different game. So let me put these four up here. And I'm not going to read all these verses. Uh, if you want, the, uh, uh, there's some outlines in the back uh, where you can get them. But here are four things in which we really need a real reciprocation to let us all know we're playing by the same rules and we have the same concern for one another in love. And they are forbearance, forgiveness, mercy, and peace. And if we ever don't think the other guy's playing by these as goals, if we think he's headed for a different goal than this, we think, I'm not going to play because he's playing a different game. Right? Uh, I remember a few years ago, one of the cartoons uh, that I read in the Sunday paper was Calvin and Hobbes, and Calvin would play Calvin Ball. And what were the rules in Calvin Ball? And pretty much Calvin got to do what he wants and he wins, right? If you ever think the other guy's playing a different game that he's making up that's not this, it's going to be really hard to continue in a relationship because it will seem like we're at such different aims and ends. So forbearance forbearance, that the other guy puts up with me in the things in which I'm weak or have blind spots or foibles as I do with him. Uh, Ephesians 4, Paul says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That is the believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, bears all things part of 1 Corinthians 13. And so to endure patiently, to hold back a reaction, to show a loving self-restraint. This is one of the main things we need to reciprocate in. Paul said, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. We also need forgiveness. Colossians 3, as those who have been chosen of God, beloved, Colossians 3.12, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against one another, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So we note there, it's the, this forgiveness is tied to forbearance, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Uh, What did Peter say? Love covers a multitude of sins. And what did Jesus say on the, in the sermon, excuse me, in the, in the Lord's prayer? Forgive us our transgressions as you forgive us. But Jesus said, if you don't forgive men, your father won't forgive you. And so we need to be forgiving and we need to be forgiven. And so if, if we aren't forbearing with other people's Uh, faults that's not very loving if we won't forgive them 
But most of the people who won't forgive others, they, they sort of seem to want automatic forgiveness or, uh, or just uh, unspoken forgiveness uh, for themselves. Of course, that kind of person very seldom thinks that they define sin in a way that they very seldom do it, uh, which is not usually accurate. But they've defined sin down for themselves. They define sin up for others. They find others that don't meet the standard. They hold it against them, but against themselves, they seem to hold nothing. And so uh, these things, uh, this, is, this is when we're not playing by the same rules. Uh, this is when we're working to different goals. And so because we have, in every set of relationships, more than one person involved, and the bigger the family and the bigger the relationship in congregations or in neighborhoods, the, the bigger the group, the more mercy will be needed. Because there's more opportunities for people to fall down when there's more people involved. And when there's more people involved, there's, there's more ways to mess up. And the, a person might have a good relationship with this part of the group, be it a family and kin structure, or be it a congregation kind of brotherhood structure, or be in the neighborhood, the more there is involved in the organization, whether it's formal organization or not, the more involved in the thing, then the more it is likely that someone's overlooked, that someone's slighted, uh, that, that that which this group of people finds lovely and wonderful and funny and, and endearing, the other group finds, you know, arrogant or uh, disrespectful uh, or untoward in some way. And so the larger the operation, the more mercy is needed in all. Luke 6, 35, love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Why? Your reward is great. You'll be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. We often ask, well, what other kind would he, would he, would he find? But be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Or another James 3. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. James 3 7. Wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable. I can think of a couple of fellows, I won't name them by name, but I do know their names still to this day. They have been stamped indelibly in my mind. Men who were so concentrated on being pure, they couldn't get along with anybody. Well, that's not the wisdom from above. Purity is important, but right behind it comes peaceful, gentle, and reasonable. Those go together. Purity and peaceable. If your purity gets in the way of you being peaceable, then you're getting the purity wrong. Instead, it should be gentle, reasonable, full of mercy. And we think of so many times where someone in the name of purity has anything has been anything but gentle or reasonable or merciful. It's probably not the right definition even then of purity. James 2, for judgment will be merciless to the one who's shown no mercy. That's a scary thought, but it says mercy triumphs judgment. With this then, we can live in our various relationships, again, of brotherhood and spiritual and family and kin and neighborhood and work and all the rest. Then we can have a peace achieved. We're to pursue this, Hebrews 12, with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. 
So peace with people and sanctification before God. That's just like the last two, I think, in many ways, where it's peaceful, it's pure, and it's peaceable. And then the peace of Christ, Colossians 3.15, is to rule our hearts. That way we can really be one body and be thankful. And lastly, Jesus' words on this, Mark 9.50, salt is good, but if salt has lost its savor or become unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So if you have some spiritual salt, if you have some spiritual seasoning about yourself, you can be at peace with other people. Those who can't be at peace with other people, we find they're really, really spiritually immature. And they're not loving as they ought to be. So here are the things which are our goals. Here are the things in which we're tr- we want to give, but also get so that we can live harmoniously in a relationship where brotherly love continues. Forbearance, forgiveness, mercy, and peace. And this way we can fulfill that second part of the great commandment, loving our neighbor as ourself. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.